I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight here in New Hampshire. No, no, listen, you know what? Winning's never easy. And no one's ever given a victory. And the people of New Hampshire's Republican Party tonight have spoken very clearly that Mr. Trump is their preference in this election, and he deserves congratulations for that. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. I'm not going to sit here and complain about how hard it is. Too blunt, too direct, too loud, and too New Jersey. Showtime is over. It's game time. And when it's game time, you want serious players on the field. I'm David First. So, yeah, this wasn't the way things were supposed to go. Governor Christie spent more than 70 days campaigning in the Granite State. He held 76 town hall events there. This is where he needed to do well. In a few moments, Matt Katz joins us to analyze the results. And later, New Jersey Assembly Speaker Vincent Prieto talks about what working with a returning Governor Christie might be like. But first, we take a look back at Christie's quest to become the next president of the United States. In this condensed replay of his journey to the White House, or at least Manchester, we start with a visit to Iowa back in 2010. To be president of the United States, you have to feel like you're absolutely ready. And I don't think I'm ready. Is there any conceivable scenario where you would say, I must run? Well, that took a long time, didn't it? (laughs) I threatened to commit suicide. I did. I said, what do I have to do short of suicide to convince people I'm not running? I am proud to announce my candidacy for the Republican nomination for President of the United States of America. He hugged Obama. I'm sure that's not a way to make an assessment about him. I think he blew it when he hugged Obama. Because to me, he gave up and went to the dark side. We welcome you the first debates of the 2016 presidential campaign. You face an employee pension crisis, and the Garden State has the third highest foreclosure rate in the country. If you think it's bad now, you should have seen it when I got there. I love his straightforward manner, his no-nonsense. I like him very much. There was one point where I went 20 questions in a row without being asked a question. But is it, well, but did, I'm standing up there, standing next to Marco Rubio, looking at each other, going, are we still here? You know, I love the fact that he ruffles everybody's feathers, you know? He tells people to sit down, shut up, you know, we're done. You know, this is my show. <laughs> That's a completely ridiculous answer. Listen, Senator, you know, when you're sitting in a subcommittee just blowing hot air about this, you can say things like that. I feel neglected, and I feel very hurt because this is a person that's supposed to be taking care of his state first, and he's taking his own personal interests to move ahead and neglect the people that he's supposed to be helping. A Christie presidency won't be about me. It'll be about you. Leadership is not about me. It's about our country. This is not about me. It's about the American people. They want an effective presidency, and they need someone who's tested. Christie, as a prosecutor, does know how to handle ISIS by a mile more than even the other Republicans. We need for appropriate vetting, and I don't think orphans under five um, are being, you know, should be admitted into the United States at this point. So Chris, who's a friend of mine, he hit me hard. And I said, I gotta hit him at least once. So I won't do this a lot, but look, here's the story. <laughs> the George Washington Bridge, he knew about it. Hey, totally knew about it. 
the total time out of state is 72% of the year. I understand. You've got, you've got a point of view. But your point of view is dead wrong. Too much of a loose cannon. I'll campaign against him. Wow. He won't get off first base in Iowa. I can tell you that right now. Well, I am pleased to announce that I performed exactly as I expected in Iowa. Um, and so we are happy to say we have met expectations in Iowa, and we're now moving on to New Hampshire. I don't know what you expect me to do. You want me to go down there with a mop? Chris, your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. And then you stayed there for 36 hours, and then he left and came back to campaign. See, Those are the facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's there the it is, reason everybody. why this campaign... I think the whole race changed last night. Because you know there was a march among some in the chattering class to anoint Senator Rubio. I think after last night, that's over. Whatever happens uh, in this race, um, I'm content with the way I've run it. I've been myself. Um, Mary Pat and I um, spoke tonight, and we've decided that we're going to go home to New Jersey tomorrow. And we're going to take a deep breath, and that's going to allow us to make a decision um, about how we move from here um, in this race. There it is, Bon Jovi's Who Says You Can't Go Home, a song that was used by Christie at the end of many of his town hall events. And as we just heard, he'll uh, find out soon enough if you can go home again. We're joined by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz now, who is in New Hampshire. His new book is American Governor, Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption. Hey, Matt. Hey there, David. What happened to Chris Christie in New Hampshire? You know, I just made a note to myself, and uh, I, I came up with 10 things. You know, it, it wasn't just one thing, and it wasn't all him. It was a mix of circumstance, strategic error, and it was Bridgegate. People talking in recent days are saying, gosh, maybe there's this perception that he was beating up on poor Marco Rubio. Maybe he went too hard on him. Uh, Maybe it was Donald Trump entering the race. Maybe it goes back to the Obama hug. Maybe it goes all the way back to Bridgegate. It's all that. It's all that. Absolutely. I think you got to start with Bridgegate. It changed the trajectory of his political career. Uh, His donors got cold feet because they thought he was too scandal plagued. He endured presidential nominee level media scrutiny for months and months on end. He retreated to stop doing press conferences. And it, it didn't come up a lot on the campaign trail, but it stopped him cold on, in what was a direct, which not a, not a direct, but a nearly direct path toward the top tier of Republican candidates in, in the 2016 election. And you have to start with that. No such thing as a direct path, obviously, because you never know when a Donald Trump might enter the race. And that's the second major factor, for sure. I mean, he sucked up all the oxygen in the room. He took Christie's a shtick, which was being the uh, loud Northeasterner who said things that nobody else said. And, you know, for, for people who didn't like Trump, for the anti-Trump voters, they started, like, just grouping the two of them together. So Trump made Christie seem even worse among people that didn't like Trump, and Trump made Christie seem not, you know, strong enough to people who liked Trump. That did incredible damage. I want to play a quick little burst of analysis here from New Hampshire Public Radio uh, as the results were coming in on Tuesday night. Chris Christie 
just 9% in the city of Manchester. So just a sense of, of how dominant Donald Trump has been and how helpless Republican elites have been here in the state to stop him. And think how unimportant in the in the long run endorsements really are. Chris Christie got the union leader here. These endorsements are so overrated, but when they happen, boy, they sure bring the front page headlines. That's right. Um, he got those endorsements, but it didn't. <laughs> what did it yield? It did get him positive headlines. It did. He did have a bit of a surge in the polls after the union leader endorsement. But then you know what happened? That got uh, the pro-Rubio super PAC to go on television with a multi-million dollar ad buy, just absolutely decimating Christie and calling him basically a fake conservative. And that seemed to stop any surge, late surge that the governor was having right in its tracks. And that race for second, third, fourth place in New Hampshire seemed to stay so fluid for so long. I mean, so many Republican candidates uh, and so many New Hampshire voters making these late decisions. This is the way Christie described it earlier in the campaign. There will be people that I have met for the third or fourth time who will look at me completely honestly and earnestly and say, Governor, I know this is the fourth time I've met you. You're in my top three. And I'm going to see you a couple more times, and then I'll make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was at a town hall meeting hours before the polls opened on Monday night, and they asked for a show of hands of how many people were undecided, and uh, a, a third to a half of the people raised their hands, hadn't made a decision yet. And yet in that room, Christie won over voters. You met some voters there that changed their mind after seeing that town hall. Yes, they did. And a couple of those voters actually showed up to Christie's victory party tonight. I've connected with Christie like I have no other political candidate in my life. He made me laugh. He made me cry. Uh, he spent 10 minutes on my question, and he looked at me in the eye the whole time. Everything about it, I felt like I was talking to my father. I felt that much of a connection with this man. And this is crazy. Like, the fact that I'm saying this right now, I'm surprising myself. Love this guy. But they were few and far between for some reason. I mean, it doesn't, it, it on paper doesn't make any sense. He spent more days here than any other single candidate. He spent more money here than all but one candidate. And he has, and this is not me, this is any like veteran political operative or political reporter will tell you, he has more political talent in terms of communication ability than any other single candidate in the field. So the ingredients were all there. But no results. It seems like Christie was able to win people over when they were in that room with him at a town hall event, but was unable to get a significant traction beyond that. Whereas uh, someone like uh, Kasich, who held something like 100 town halls in the state, slowly won people over and finished second. And that, that has to be a devastating blow to Christie, who once upon a time could have run a more centrist campaign, similar to what uh, Kasich ended up doing. I actually think this is the most tragic element of all this, the Kasich part, because Chris Christie, pre-Bridgegate, was going to run a campaign that was much 
broader in terms of um, appealing to independents, maybe even Democrats, having a more centrist, big tent Republican message. But after Bridgegate, he decided to run a more traditional conservative campaign, and he got lost. And yet John Kasich, who talked about bipartisan accomplishments and talked optimistically about the country's future, was able to secure second place with that message because nobody else was saying it. And the thing is, Christie had a good story to tell in this regard. He had bipartisan accomplishments in New Jersey. Unlike John Kasich, he had a Democratic legislature. He had a legislature of the opposing party that he actually worked with. And he would talk about this sometimes, but it never penetrated voters' minds or hearts. Kasich really stole the lane that, in retrospect, Christie has got to have wished he had run in. Well, you could certainly argue that Christie did have a... a significant effect on the race this week, I guess, as a parting gift to uh, Governors uh, Bush and Kasich. Uh, He delivered that uh, Marco Rubio takedown in the last debate. Yeah. Our our colleague Andrea Bernstein, though, calls that a murder-suicide in that (laughs) it certainly seemed to have hurt Marco Rubio. Rubio did terribly compared to his uh, polls from before the debate. But it didn't help Christie. People didn't buy the fundamental message behind the attack that Christie was trying to sell, which is that I'm the one who knows how to beat Hillary Clinton. I'm therefore the most electable. Look at me, you know, have a street fight on the stage and decimate this guy. uh, Voters didn't see that. They just saw that Rubio was a robot and they uh, bought Christie's argument but didn't buy Christie. Okay, so coming back to New Jersey, uh, ultimately, what's going to be the next chapter for Chris Christie? So Chris Christie has a big speech next week in New Jersey. He's got a budget address, and this is his opportunity to go home and say, listen, I'm back. I hope you didn't miss me too much. And now is his opportunity to cement a real legacy and fix some things that he had promised to fix but didn't fix in his first six years in office. And we'll hear more about that coming up next. New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz in New Hampshire. New book is American Governor Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks, David. Time now to go uh, share a drink with the governor back at the hotel. I'm actually... Uh, drinking a small bottle of Glenlivet 12 that a fellow reporter gave to me. I've been covering this guy for five and a half years, and uh, it's been all about the inevitable presidential run that whole time, and now it's all over. It deserves a uh, tiny bottle of scotch (laughs) while I do a podcast with David first in the hallway. That's what this moment calls for, so... I hope the bosses aren't listening. <laughs> they, they never listen. Come on. So you return now to a civilian life. Matt Katz, welcome back and cheers. Cheers. Governor Christie, be strong. And Jerseyans will help you along in this battle of truth or death. Governor Christie, you will see we stand behind. Yes, the somewhat infamous Governor Christie song, sending Matt on his way down that hallway in New Hampshire. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. With the prospect of Christie governing New Jersey full-time again, we here at the podcast want to be prepared. 
To help, we are joined by New Jersey Assembly Speaker Vincent Prieto. Welcome. My pleasure to be with you today, David. For argument's sake, let's say Christie's back in Jersey and it's up to you to set his agenda. What are the issues that most need attention in the state? The most uh, critical thing is our transportation trust fund. That that I've been talking about for like the last two years, um, that it's coming to an end uh, June 30th this year, at the end of this fiscal year, we run out of money completely. And it's kind of interesting because this is an integral cog of us to be able to get other things done. It's all intertwined. And as you probably know, New Jersey's economy has not been bounce back as quickly as, uh, you know, our surrounding states. We've lagged behind. So we have had revenue issues in the state of New Jersey, and we need a revenue stream. So I had called out originally on potentially getting a revenue stream. So I made the tough decision to call for um, a gasoline tax. Uh, New Jersey is a corridor state. For us to attract businesses here and keep businesses here, it's because where we're located in our transportation infrastructure, we're raising the Bayonne Bridge to get more cargo into our ports. Then when that cargo is in there, we need to move it by either rail or our roads. So it's very important to our economy. Now, I heard the other day that the governor wasn't open to raising a gas tax, but we had talked about potentially phasing out an estate tax, doing other things that it was tax fairness, something that would give and take. But I guess as if you're when you're running for president, you know, there's certain things in a primary you can't say or do, and that just, you know, speaks to me when he gave his state of the state a few weeks back. He mentioned a repealing an estate tax, which is onerous, and I, and I could go into detail on that, but he didn't talk about our, our transportation infrastructure and how important that is. So I think once he gets back here, we can then get back to, you know, taking care of business at hand, which it should be for a governor. It's New Jersey first, and then everything else should manifest from there. But uh, I look forward to, to the dialogue with, with him trying to get something accomplished. Christy uh, sort of swooped into the state for a day, or, or maybe it was 36 hours just as uh, that recent blizzard was arriving, and he pulled off a, a compromise agreement on uh, taking financial control of Atlantic City. Does that suggest that he will be able to work with uh, the New Jersey legislature to get things done? Well, listen, and I'm I'm always willing to listen. And, and I got to tell you, I, if you're talking about a, a press conference that was with the Senate president and the mayor of Atlantic City. Uh, I was not included in that one, but I actually commended the governor and the Senate president for including the mayor of Atlantic City and the council of Atlantic City because the the prior week before that, I had called him in. He was a very frustrated man because there was an initiative for a takeover bill, and they had not had any input. So I called him in. I had met with him, meaning the mayor and the council president, to get their their concerns and potentially us to you know maybe suggest some amendments to make it a better bill that everybody could live with. And then the governor decided to to come back in, met with the. Uh, 
uh, mayor and the Senate president. And uh, like I said, I commend them for them to taking my lead in doing that. But I also said that I was concerned potentially on doing something like that, anything that had been collectively bargained for that I thought should not be something that you can undo, given the fact that the state has been financially monitoring uh, Atlantic City for the last few years because we give them transitional aid. So we have had a lot of say in what they can do or not do. So I think those are things that uh, we're working on right now. My staff is sitting with the governor's staff, the Senate president's staff, and the mayor and council to see what the legislation can look at. And once I see a document that hopefully we can get something accomplished, because we need to help Atlantic City. And, you know, and Atlantic City is an important to our economy. Is that a sign, though, that the governor can work with uh, the legislature, that and uh, uh, the compromise that he brokered between you and uh, Senate President Sweeney on bringing the two casinos to northern New Jersey, the uh, referendum? Yeah, that that, that was another thing that um, we had different opinions um, on what needed to be built in, in North Jersey. And I had gotten to the point that I had agreed to how much money goes back to, to AC. So I give the governor credit for coming in and trying to broker uh, something, which then, uh, for me, it was very important that what would be built in the north would be something of substance. It would not be convenient. Uh, gaming or slots in a box, that it had to be a, uh, a minimum a billion-dollar investment in each of the casinos. And also, there was the disagreement that I wanted free enterprise for the licensing to open to anybody. The Senate president thought it should be tied to Atlantic City. We were getting close, but you know what? It always helps having somebody else in the room. So I thought I, thought I welcomed that. And like I said, I'm always willing to negotiate. All right. Well, I I hope you'll be there with a a welcome home gift for him. New Jersey Assembly Speaker Vincent Prieto, thank you very much for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29 Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and you can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That is Matt, K-A-T-Z. I'm David First, and we'll finish with some final thoughts on New Hampshire from Governor Christie. I want to always be able to say in my life that the people in New Hampshire met me, got to see me, that I opened my heart to them, they opened their heart to me, and we made history together. <laughs>